Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley, consultant with Human Synergistics Australia. I'm joined by Jess Keft on this episode. Hey, Jess. Thanks for having me. So, Jess, you're our uh, conference organizing extraordinaire, and we've just wrapped up this year's annual conference. Yes. So what you, what'd you think? What's the feedback been? It was good. The feedback's been amazing. Just hearing from people that have attended is always a great way to wrap up conference. Yeah. So yeah, people have loved it, especially the IBM presentation. Yeah, well, IBM was a great presentation. So David LaRose, who is the managing director of IBM Australia New Zealand, he's actually been promoted since he's over in New York now, but, um, but he was great. He came back for the Sydney conference to speak about the culture work they've been doing. So it was, a, it was a great story. Yeah, it was a really good story. And I really loved how he made it quite personal as well. He shared uh, his personal story. Mm, yeah, really powerful, right? I think even I know um, within IBM, when they're actually doing the work, he shared it as well. So he had his own leadership impact, so complex up there. And he said, you know, this is, this is me. I'm going to be transparent and put it out there. And I think internally for them, that was a big thing. You know, like, well, here he is leading from the front and, and you know, putting it out there literally yeah. <laughs> in this case, you know, putting it out there literally for others to see and follow. Because I think, you know, and, and David covers this in, in this story, you know, there was, there was a bit of skepticism maybe early on and stuff. So it was about building, building the momentum. And they did that by getting people involved. So it was getting IBMers involved and setting the setting the vision, setting the direction for where did we want to be culturally as an organization. Yeah, and they were starting to refocus the business to be about their people mm. as well, which is always an interesting start. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, traditionally IBM's known for giant mainframe computers and stuff, right? And it's a changing world. And so they've had to change and evolve as well. So away from mainframe computers, more to services, which takes a cultural shift as well, you know, to be successful at least, takes a cultural shift. And I think Australia and New Zealand have been struggling with their engagement scores and so on. And so David came down and, you know, they said, we're going to focus on this. We're going to make a difference. And, you know, already it's feeling different. So we're going to play the the clip from conference of David LaRose speaking. And at the end, there's also a, a panel of their culture coaches. So these were people internal to IBM who, you know, worked with the culture to, to get the results out there and stuff, kind of internal experts for it. So it's a pretty cool Q&A as well. So we have Eric Wong on that, uh, Lisa Poulton and Bridget Luke. And I think that says something too, that they're bringing up, you know, the culture coaches as well. It's not just just David, but also the team. Yeah, everyone's it. sharing the story. Yeah, great story. So we'll get into it and uh, maybe have a chat at the end too. Sounds good. Well, good morning and uh, thanks, David and Corinne, for this great opportunity. I'm really pleased to be here today and have the opportunity to talk. I thought this morning's session was, was outstanding. And as I was actually saying to a couple of my colleagues, I wish I was here last year and I heard so much of that um, would have given us a lot uh, richer ability to accelerate the journey that we've been on. So has anyone in the audience heard of IBM? <laughs> okay, all right, well, that's what I would expect. What about in the audience who interact with IBM on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay. That's what I also suspected. But I actually, so I thought I'd give you a little bit of a context around 
around IBM. So in Australia and New Zealand, we have about 5,000 employees across the two countries. We operate in every state and territory, and we operate in, in Wellington and Auckland in, uh, in New Zealand. You actually do interact with IBM every day. So if you, if you transact with a bank, pretty much any bank, that transaction will touch or go through an IBM uh, system process. If you've come in and out of the country through our customs, through the, the customs that uh, checks your face and your ID as you put it in your passport, that's all run in the back end by IBM as well. So we may not be in front of you anymore in the, uh, as in the old PC days, but you certainly do interact with them. And, you know, if, if you look at, and we're about, uh, about $3 billion Australian in terms of the organizational size. We have uh, 500 managers inside the organization that manage the 5,000 and about 150 of uh, senior managers, that, um, which I'm going to sort of talk a little bit about. But, you know, in our last, and we've been around for 100 years. So in that 100 years, you know, we've seen an incredible amount of shifting in the business. We've seen industry disruption, and we've seen transformation both of our, our industry, but also of ourselves. And whilst many of, you know, you would know us through our technology or our industry expertise, and our research, that isn't how we differentiate ourselves. IBM is experienced and defined by what we call the IBMer, the employees of the organization. And if I think about the last you know, five years here in Australia, we got lost. We got lost in that disruption. There was ambiguity around how our, our portfolio and our solution was transitioning. So, you know, whilst we were known as a hardware sales organization, we've really been trying to shift that into a software and a services organization and an ideas organization. How do we bring innovation and ideas to, to our clients? And in that ambiguity and in that disruption, we forgot about the IBMer. We stopped listening to the IBMer. And that impacted everything and everyone. People have to be involved in the disruption. They have to be included in the disruption. And we failed to address that. To survive the disruption, we needed to motivate our employees. We needed to have a motivated employee base. And we needed to have people with confidence. And what I'm going to take you through over the course of the next 20 minutes is the journey that we've come through once we realized that. So let me set the context. So I joined IBM in uh, 1989. I've been there for 30 years. I've spent about half of that time here in Australia and New Zealand in various roles. And I've spent about half of that time outside of Australia. Japan, China, and Europe has sort of been the base over those 17 years. And in late 2017, I was asked to come back and had the great pleasure of leading the organization here in Australia and New Zealand, the one that I started in. And I was asked to refocus the company on what was essential to our clients, which was our people. So in coming into this and being out for so long, I decided to take a look at a couple of elements. The first thing I said is, let's take a look at the market. What's happening in the market? Well, as many of you know, the Australian market has been growing for the last 28 years consecutively. So the market was strong, it was buoyant, and, in, and it continues to be so. So it was a good market. The next thing is I, I said, let's take a look at our clients. And I looked at our book of business. And you know, as I said earlier, we engage with all of the, the major banks, we engage with the federal government in defense and in home affairs and in tax, and we have a great commercial base as well. 
So an incredible set of clients, ones that are relevant, ones that are growing in, in this country and, and in New Zealand. And the third thing I looked at was our capabilities. And having had the opportunity to see our capabilities in other parts of the world, I was skeptical. But when I took a look at the capabilities, it was incredible. We have a research lab with more than you know, 50 PhDs in Melbourne, looking at things and involved in research around uh, precision medicine. We have a cybersecurity lab up on the Gold Coast, which develops products for IBM across the world. And so we had an incredible base of, of capabilities, somewhat better than I've seen in other parts of the world. So we had a market that was strong, we have a client base that was really strong and relevant, and we had a set of capabilities that was second to none. So then I went back and had a look inside the organization. NPS, and we heard NPS uh, earlier. NPS, of the 29 markets in the world that IBM measures, we were the last. We had the worst NPS in the world for IBM. I won't even tell you what the score was, but it was, you know, it was bad. So we had unhappy clients. Employee engagement, and we looked at, across a number of years. Out of the 29 countries across the world that IBM measures engagement, we had the worst employee engagement, and it was consistently poor. And many of you would know, we had some very public and large embarrassments in the marketplace. So we had unhappy clients, we had unhappy people, we had no confidence in the business because it hadn't been growing for you know, more than five to six years. And in a nutshell, we had lost optimism. We'd lost belief, we'd lost hope, and it was very clear that our people felt that the leadership had stopped listening. So that was what I was faced with and what my team was faced with. And we said, okay, where do we go from here? Well, the first thing we did is we said we need a consultant. <laughs> so we looked, and I've got to say, with the great help, and we went, uh, we went pretty rigorously throughout the, orga, you know, the marketplace to take a look at who was available, and we landed on human synergistics. And I remember sitting in the room with David and Corinne, and many of the things that we heard this morning, they tested us as to whether we had the conviction. Did we understand our why? And we did, and we engaged them, and they started to help us through the journey. And then we said, okay, what, what is the first thing that we need to do? And the first thing we said was, we need to declare that we've got a problem. We needed to declare that we had to address our culture. You know, in the, in the analogy of, a, of an alcoholic, we needed to accept that we had a drinking problem. And so we engaged in a town hall. We brought in the 5,000 of our employees, either directly or via the technology that we had available, and we declared that we had a problem. We also declared that we were going to announce a program to address that problem. And at that point, and I remember what it felt like before we went into the town hall, and I met, I felt what what it felt like after leaving that town hall was very empowering. It was also very confronting because now we had made a commitment. We decided then that we needed to crowdsource the culture that we wanted. This wasn't going to be something that we could just create in the boardroom, but we needed to crowdsource the culture that we wanted. And from that, we was born this concept of a vision sprint. And a vision sprint was where we engaged the entire employee base to decide or envision what kind of IBM they wanted to be part of. What is it that they wanted to do when they came into work every day? And we heard that again this morning in many examples. And from that day forward, 
the outcome of those vision sprints have formed the culture for us going forward. And we're at the early days. But it, you know, it struck me as well that the days of CEOs setting the cultural vision for the organization are gone. The people that you need to set on fire, the people that you need to engage are the people. And as soon as we did that, there was an acknowledgement. There was also some skepticism, but there was an acknowledgement and almost a relief that we had, uh, we had acknowledged that we needed to do something different and that we were committed to it. So what we then did is we had a series of these vision sprints, which was uh, a half-day session in different uh, locations, facilitated by many of our own employees that were, I would say, early champions and human synergistics to define what uh, our people wanted to uh, the, the new IBM to look like. And they really came out with three things. The first one was leadership. We needed to address leadership, which I'll talk about in a moment. The second one, systems and processes, and we heard that earlier today as well. But you know, what is getting in the way of them doing their best work and coming into the office and, and being the best they can? And the third, what we call one IBM, which is how do we get in a large siloed organization and a very matrix organization, how do we get cross-cultural engagement and conversation going? So once we had done those vision sprints, we then went back to the 5,000 in a town hall and said, this is what we heard. We heard that you want us to focus in on leadership. We heard that you want us to focus in on systems and processes. And we heard that we wanted you to focus on, on one IBM. And I think that was the moment that we started to get some belief. And we, what, we really, what really came out of that is how do we create, how do we lead, and how do we become the new IBM? And the, you know, the, the strong communication that we had around that, visibly in the offices, but also consistently in communication from myself was, and the leadership team was a really important piece of it. So then we said, okay, we wanted to, the first item that they wanted us to tackle was leadership. And very quickly, you know, that came back to my team and me. And again, that was very confronting. It got very personal very quickly. And I made a decision then for myself, which was, I can't ask any of my direct reports or those 150 senior leaders in the organization to do something that I wasn't prepared to do myself. And that's where we started with the concept of uh, you know, doing my own LSI, and I'll share it with you in a moment. And also then committing to the 150 senior leaders to say, we needed to come and bring them together and help them, and help them understand how their behaviors was impacting the culture on how their styles were impacting the culture on their people and ultimately the organization. So it was a very transparent process that we wanted to go through. We brought them in. We spent, we had three sessions, one in Sydney, Melbourne, and one in, in New Zealand, 150 of those leaders. We gave clarity of purpose. We explained to them our why, uh, why we needed to do it, why they needed to be part of the, of the journey, what success looked like, and then you know, again, I said to them, we're pregnant. We are pregnant now. We are committed. This is not something that we can step away from. There's no turning back. Um, any of you with children would know that moment when your uh, partner says they're pregnant and you understand that you're committed, you know the feeling I'm, I'm talking about. And we also had a very clear shared vision. So I stood up in front of those 150 leaders and I showed them this, which was my LSI. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so, and it was confronting, right? But, you know, again, 
I wasn't going to ask them to do anything that I wasn't prepared to do. I didn't ask them to share their circumplex with their employees, but I encouraged it. So you can see my style was uh, pretty you know, perfectionistic. It was power-driven. I'm a numbers guy. What has worked for me every time is to come in, to be task-oriented, to be you know, uh, oriented in terms of outcomes. That was the MO that's worked for me in pretty much most places. It was clear it wasn't going to work here. And it was clear that I had some work to go do around my constructive styles. I wasn't empowering my teams. I wasn't letting them challenge ideas. And I was creating a, a, you know, a, a very passive leadership organization. So then everyone, all 150 of those leaders, went through that same exercise. And it gave us, I think, you know, I think someone mentioned it earlier this morning, but it gave us a language. You know, now we now talk about you're heading into the red territory, or that was really good blue behavior. And I'll come back to that point, but I think that was really important because it then created permission as well as accountability for everyone in the organization to understand what good looks like and to call out when good is not something that they are experiencing. I also then committed that I was going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with each one of those 150 managers and talk only about culture. I thought it was a good idea at the time. Uh, and <laughs> it turned out to be a good idea, but I didn't do the maths on it. So uh, <clears throat> that was, uh, was a big commitment of time. It was a big commitment of my time whilst I was here, and I would say it was the most important decision I made. You can spend an hour with a leader, and at the end of that hour, you understand whether they are clear on what you're trying to get done, whether they're on the bus with you and on the journey with you, or whether they're not, or whether they're in the middle and they're saying, I need help and help me. Some of them chose to share the circumplexes, some of them didn't, but the point was I had a very clear understanding, and so did my leaders, a, of the expectation that we wanted of them, but also where they were in the journey. We then spent every town hall, which we do every 90 days, to go back and feature the progress that we were making. And we started very slowly turning the skeptics to believers. They started to believe that this wasn't a 90-day sprint, but this was a three-year journey, and that we were committed to sharing very transparently the results and the experiences that we were having, and to take feedback from the teams. So, 12 months on, and we are at the beginning. This is not, I'm not here today to say that we are through and that we've concluded this. We are, we're at the beginning and we're learning a lot. But where are we today? We grew for the first time as an organization. So financially, we had a good, strong financial performance. We've moved our NPS score. Now, certainly off the bottom of the chart, to a point where we are average. And so, you know, I'll take that for the moment, but we are starting to get feedback from our clients that we're showing up differently. And the, some of the relationships that we've had, which were uh, strained, are starting, you know, we're resetting many of those, those, those relationships. We've had a steady improvement in, in employee engagement throughout the course, and we tested every six months throughout the course of the last two years. But we're at the beginning. So my personal journey, now looks like this. So, and I've spent time with Corinne personally. Corinne's my coach, by the way, which has been, and I've had a couple of different coaches. The amount of feedback, if you want it, and they say feedback is a gift. Uh, <laughs> I've got so many gifts. <laughs> but I would encourage the, the, the CEOs, 
or those that are sitting on the fence to open up to feedback, to share transparently, you know, the experience and that your styles have on the culture and be open to adjusting them. And, you know, 12 months on, I've got some, uh, you know, things to celebrate in terms of the progress that I think I've made in the constructive styles, but I've also got new areas to go work on. And Corinne and I are talking about, you know, why is the, you know, the, um, the avoidance style coming through so, so strongly. And so for the practitioners in the room, I'm available afterwards for <laughs> more feedback. Um, so what I would say helped me get through some of that, and, and now I'm speaking again to any leaders that are sitting on the fence, is, and how did I change? I slowed down. So I went from one of these individuals that, that needed to be busy all of the time and have a, a full calendar from 7.30 in the morning to late at night to carve out times where I could prepare differently for the day, where I could prepare for those conversations which I knew were going to be complicated. And I think we heard one of the speakers this morning, I think, I think it was uh, Robert with Corinne this morning, you, know, you walk into those meetings, you've got seven people sitting around the table and the, the experience of their, that they're each having from culture is going to be different but being very conscious about what, how I was turning up in those meetings. I invested time with the influencers. So we, we had uh, early advocates of the program, that people that wanted to be part of this, and we, we uh, launched what we called culture coaches, and we're gonna, you're going to hear from some of them in a moment. We had culture champions, people that wanted to be part of it. So spending time with, with those individuals, again, sharing the vision, sharing the process, transparently helped, but also spending time with people who were not on the bus was something that I had to go and invest time in. Being consistent, turning up consistently. And the other thing, uh, and I will sort of channel Brené Brown here a little bit, and it'll be a little bit vulnerable, is I'll tell you what I call the umbrella story. So I was, again, for, I had one mode of operation, and that mode of operation was I want an arm's length relationship with my direct reports. Because, you know, I, I just, you know, I just never knew whether I could trust everybody. And, and so if I didn't socialize and engage with them and, and drop my guard in terms of what do I like doing on the weekend and what is passionate for me, that was something they, I, I could, they would never hurt me. I could never get disappointed by dropping my guard. And someone told me, this is really like, David, you walking around with an umbrella every day just in case it rains. And that was so true. And that was the moment, and we heard it again this morning from Corinne, there are things that you can use, you know, it, using the umbrella analogy. I can look at the weather. I can see what's, what, you know, was happening yesterday. Uh, see whether, whether there's clouds in the sky by looking out the window. So I could start to use strategies to allow me to drop that guard and to open up. And as soon as I started to do that, there was a different level of engagement which you might all sit there and say, well, that's obvious. But as a, as an individual that, you know, managed time, was outcome driven, wasn't obvious to me. And so again, I wanted to share that with, with you this morning. So what have we learned across, uh, what have I learned as a leader, but what have we learned? Uh, this is a journey. It's a journey that you need to learn on and that you need to pivot. And we're pivoting now. What have we learned in, in the last 18 months? What's working? What's not? Where is the culture changing? Where isn't it changing? So it's a journey is, is, one, is one area that I would say. Mobilizing people is hard. Mobilizing people is challenging, but 
it's easier if you unlock what, unlock what you already have. People want to tell their story. People want to be listened to. Open, clear, you know, questioning, being curious is something that I think has been enlightening for us as a leadership organization. And the leaders that are making progress are really, you know, doing a lot more listening than before. Symbols matter. We heard it, I think, from the last speaker before, for the break. You know, two examples. We decided we have a large workforce, 5,000 people. Many of them work from home. So we said, you know what? That's not conducive to co-creation. That's not conducive to the one of the things that you've asked us to help with, which is the one IBM and this cross-business unit constructive conversations. And so we had a drive to come back to the office. But at the same time, we had to make our office environment something that people wanted to come back to. So we consolidated our, our Sydney-based offices into two locations now. We've just opened up in George Street. It's a new organize, it, it feels like a new organization. And, you know, the, the, the energy and the, the influence on culture has been significant. So don't underestimate the workplace as being one. And I'll give you another anecdote in our Brisbane office. You know, I used to go up there and as you walked into the, the, the lobby, there was a, statue of a clown that was sitting like this. <laughs> and it was the first thing that you saw when you walked into this office. And we were wondering why everyone's depressed. <laughs> and I said, get rid of the damn clown. <laughs> and we, uh, we've, now, we've now donated the clown to the city of Brisbane. And, uh, <laughs> and both the clown and our employees are far more happy. But, Symbols matter. So, uh, you know, the, the, it is, uh, don't underestimate the, the strength of, of symbols. So, what I want to do now is I want to pause. I want to uh, share with you a video so that you can hear some of the experiences, not from myself, but from the people and some of the, uh, those that are living through this. And, and then I'm going to ask some of my uh, amazing culture coaches to come and join me here on stage. So, can we run the video, please? Culture matters because people matter, and people are essential to any organisation's success. And at IBM, our people are so essential that we have a name for ourselves. We call ourselves IBMers because we're so proud of being an employee of IBM. So how did we get to needing a culture shift? We had a new managing director and he wanted to have a full look at our organisation. I have been in IBM for 19 years and I saw over the 19 years things changing. I could see the different feelings, the different culture and behaviour and I could see that affecting how we were delivering to our clients. What we realised is we'd stopped listening to our people. So we embarked on a company-wide survey at scale, and that helped us to hold the mirror effectively up to IBM. So to get started, we wanted to crowdsource the culture. We wanted to listen to our people again. So what we did is we went out to them and said, do you want to be a new IBM, the next IBM, or a different IBM? And almost a fifth of our people voted for a new IBM. The three main things that came out of that, firstly, they wanted leaders who would help them to do their best work. Secondly, they wanted systems and processes that won't get in the way or block innovation. Thirdly, they wanted a one IBM collaborative approach in front of our clients. 
I could see the change in people's manner, in how we talk to each other, in how we discuss certain client problem-solving situations. There was more passion, there was more genuine conversations happening and people actually took the time to speak to each other. We're all a bit more self-aware. Uh, we're very aware of our behaviours, we're very aware of how we speak, our tone of voice and even our verbal cues and actions. Although IBM is a big organisation, it all comes down to people. Um, and when you have a group of people, and especially a group of leaders, who are so keen on bringing this positive change, anything is possible. So where are we 18 months on? Well, we're seeing significant improvements in our client satisfaction, in our financial performance, and vast improvements in our engagement scores. Our people are feeling more empowered to do their job. They're feeling more empowered in front of their clients. And frankly, we all enjoy coming into the office a lot more than we used to. So let me introduce Lisa, Eric and Bridget, and uh, I'm going to hand over to Lisa. Great, thank you. Thanks, David. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Lisa Poulton. I'm a, a coach, exec coach, and a facilitator at IBM, the Leadership Academy. And I'm joined here today in this segment with uh, two of our fabulous leaders, um, Eric and Bridget. Do you want to introduce yourselves a bit, Eric? Yep. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Eric Wong. I am an IBMer and I lead the solutions engineering team in the hardware division of IBM across Australia and New Zealand. And during my spare time, I'm also a culture coach. Hi, I'm Bridget Luke. I run the state government and health sales team at um, IBM. And I was luckily uh, nominated to be a culture coach as well alongside Eric uh, almost a year ago now. Wow. How time flies, hey? So a couple of questions to start off with. Um, Eric, if I could start with you. As a senior leader in IBM, like, how did you get started? And how do you make time for this, being so busy? <laughs> Spare time. <laughs> um, look, I developed uh, very earlier on uh, throughout my work in IBM uh, a belief that uh, it all comes down to people, as I said in the video, uh, to be able to tackle the complex challenges that our clients throw at us. Success needs to be a team sport. And while we are a technology company who has come up with great invention, at the bottom of this are the people, the IBMers, right? So I think it starts first with the belief that without our people, we cannot get to anywhere. And then there is obviously an appetite for change, uh, an appetite to be a, a driver for this change in IBM. And I was fortunate to be able to share this with David and some of my peers and engage into this journey as a culture coach uh, for our leadership, but also for our IBMers and the more global community in IBM. Great, thanks. Bridget, for you? Well, for me, it was, it's almost like a, you know, the whole culture coach program was sort of engaging both the right side and left side of my brain, yeah. which I really um, resonated with me because I think, you know, as organizations, we've been doing improving processes and driving metrics and KPIs for decades now. Yeah. And it almost feels like we've reached that point which says, okay, how do we get beyond that? Yeah. And it was clear for me that actually it's the people and connecting with them and actually getting to a point where you understood them and what drove them so that you could get to that extra piece. And I think particularly with where the business was at with IBM, it was really important for us to be able to do that. So that was sort of, you know, the right-hand side, what, what's right. the business purpose for it? But I think on the left-hand side, it's just, you know, as people, we want to enjoy going to work. And I want to be, if I can be part of helping someone understand what their place is 
in the workplace, connecting them with feeling like they are the best version of themselves. And I'd be really proud if I could be part of, of helping them achieve that. Yeah, fantastic. Seeing, seeing the person, not the role. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And so how, how do you find time, right? Being so busy, how do you make this a priority of yours? I think you just have to. Nice. You have to yeah. carve out time. Uh, yeah. It's either a priority or it's something that will get lost. And it's yeah. either something that you think is important or it gets, you know, thrown to the wayside. And I think that's why having allies is so important in terms of, uh, you know, building that community. And I think um, Corinne earlier used the word kinship and that really sort of was um, resonated with me because that's yeah. what it is. And, if, and understanding that you have a cohort of people that find this important, that you have a leader that is going to drive this agenda for you and give you, also give you the space and time yeah. to prioritise it. Yeah, and I definitely. think that's, uh, but it, it just comes down to if it's important to you, you will make time and you, you can do it. Yeah. So when you think about the time that you both have dedicated to this really, really important um, initiative and now has become part of, of who we are, how we talk to one another, how we describe um, behaviour and experiences, during that time, what have been some of your sort of key observations in this initiative? Well, first, initiative around culture in IBM, it's not the first one. There has been many attempts at, at um, trying and, and change uh, our culture. It's, it's a never-changing environment, as Corinne was presenting earlier on. And the fact that we're all here shows that there is a, a new level of maturity, so to speak, around culture in the organizations today. And I've seen a lot of willingness, actually, a lot of, of appetite to drive this change. What I have not seen necessarily is what does success look like. People want to be part of this change. It's very hard until we come up with this sort of approach to really understand what this looks like. Yeah. So a lot of energy, a lot of appetite to do this, but probably a lack of direction and understanding about how those things work mm -hmm. and how leadership actually impacts culture. Yeah. Thank you. Bridget, for you? I think... Two observations. One is it is actually deeply personal. And I remember being in a debrief where we're doing a debrief of, of um, the LSIs for um, some of the extended leadership team. And one of the ladies that I was, I was working through her circumplex with said there was quite a lot of green in it. And you ask the question, well, why, why is that? And then she says, well, it's probably because, you know, my... Um, my sister was murdered when I was a teenager. Wow. And you hear a story like that and you yeah. realize that that is actually what is wow. the basis of how do you get the most out of people? You yeah. have to understand their drivers and, yeah. and who they are. And if we don't play a role in that, then it, it, it's something that we'll always miss. Yeah. Wow. So I think that per deeply personal component really yeah. struck me as I yeah. was going through it. The other side is it's, it is a journey and you still see some of the old, you know, the old behaviors, lots of red, but I think it's people in the broader organization recognizing that there are champions there and people they can speak to. Yeah. So when they're seeing behaviors that we do not want to be support, like, that we're not supporting in the organization, actually getting phone calls saying, hey, I was on this call and yeah. it was just completely inappropriate. Right. And them knowing that they have the allies that they need to help support that. Yeah. And then, you know, with the support of the broader leadership team, having the right conversations confidentially so that we can provide the coaching yeah. so that we can get you know, behavior change slowly because it's, um, it's a slow process and it is a journey. But I think building that common language and that kinship has been really, really critical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gosh, some just so, so amazing fundamental insights there. Mm. And I think this links to why human synergistics has worked and keeps working so well for us because we can, we feel like we can really trust the data. And so because we can trust the data, that means exactly to your points that we can hold the space for the people that are in front of us and really get to their stories. 
stories that are really incredibly we're privileged to hear and where we can really increase, support that person to increase their effectiveness and their productivity, as well as the connection with one another. And so for you, when you think about the human synergistics, why does it work? Well, Bridget touched upon some of those things, uh, and we've seen uh, throughout the morning a number of LSIs, which I assume everyone understands now what an LSI is. And if you look at them, it almost makes culture palpable. You can understand you know, what actually it means. You can understand what success looks like. And I think that when we embark into this long journey, because it's not a, a short-term fix, because it's not a burst, it's important to remind people of where we're going and why we're doing this and how we're tracking all this uh, to keep things moving, to keep the momentum moving, right? And I think that human statistics provide two key things. The first one is is that visual representation of what our culture is like today. And obviously that's only part, one part of the equation. There's not a, a number of other components making the culture. And it provides IBM, at least in this case, uh, a common language. Yeah. Um, IBM is a large organization with many different business units. You'd be surprised, sometimes we speak very different languages. And the LSI allows us to have that common language. Yeah, thank you. Bridget, for you? For me, it was being able to articulate the drivers of human behavior. And it actually just, just from a personal learning and sort of being able to see, you know, what can be, I think, perceived and, and received as very specific, oh, you know, it's a, a red behavior or a green behavior, but actually being able to unpeel it. Yeah. And that helped articulate with the teams that actually there are other drivers and, and then there are other drivers that force that kind of behavior yeah. that, are, that can be personal or that can be relating to the business context. And so by providing a framework within which you can talk about behavior in a bit of an abstract way, diffuses it yeah. and enables you to problem solve it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was a really sort of, for me, that notion that, you know, red and green behavior is, is driven by um, security or insecurity is sort of um, was, was a really sort of important thing for me and has enabled me to, to navigate how to articulate yeah. problem solving with my teams. Yeah. I love the word that you've used there, diffuse, hmm. because I, I find that this work is not for the faint-hearted, as I'm sure you know, many people have said during today. And being able to, to know that every single one of us is work in progress, every single one of us, and will continue to be, that that really starts to lower the guard down so we can really start to share our stories with one another in that point in time or a point over time with what's been driving that behavior. David, for you, what, why does human synergistics work? I think one of the things that you've already touched on, you know, or been emphasized, it's data driven. Yeah. It's common language. And the common language provides a safe, a safe environment, a safe place. It's, it's now safe to say that behavior is unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, it's then on us to go do something about it, but it's, it's okay to say that and people understand what that looks like. And I think, you know, this morning going through the um, Catch a Wave white paper, that, that journey map, you know, for me was, I wish I'd had it a year ago, Corinne, you know, that would have, would have been a lot more helpful. <laughs> but um, I could see this, I could see, okay, yeah, we're in that phase. I remember when we were in that phase, yeah. wow, we got to look at that next. So I think there's a methodology. And when you've got, you know, 5,000 engineers, you know, that make up IBM, basically, that resonates very, very well with us. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Thank you. And so, there are a lot of people in IBM Australia and New Zealand who have been really leaning in, as you shared before, really leaning in, wanting to be part of this, knocking on your door, other leaders, 
saying, how can we be part of this? Uh, which is an amazing thing, right? To get everybody involved and leaning in. And yet the reality is that there are going to be a proportion of people that are not, you know, on the bus, that are not leaning in, that might be sort of like, as Brené Brown says, you know, taking a cheap seat in the arena and seeing what's going on for whatever reason. What's your sort of like take on that? Why is that? And what are some of the things that we can be doing to get them involved, to get them feeling part of it? Well, first, we have to remember that we're still at the very early stages of the journey. Great. And yeah. some of the presentation this morning uh, dated back to 2008, so that's quite a while. We've been embarking in this for over a year now, which is very new. We're still young. So my perception and what I see is that most of the people I talk to are on the bus. And the challenge for us will be to keep that bus moving and keep everyone on board and keep the momentum going uh, throughout those many years, I think, ahead of us as we, we transform. Yeah. Um, but one way we achieve this, I think, is by disseminating these notions, um, these red, uh, green, blue colors through our team and really make them understand what it means for them. It cannot stay only at the leadership level. It needs to become real for everyone yeah. in the organization, yeah. leader or not, managers or not. Uh, everyone needs to, to live those values and make this a habit. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree with everything Eric said. I think for me, it's sort of the, it's the whole notion of um, being on the bus. And I, I just, it reminds me of when I was asked, you know, what's happening with this culture thing? I mean, are you seeing any changes in your leadership, like in the leadership? And I said, well, you know, I, I don't know about that, but I'm seeing changes in my leadership and that's what it's about. And I think it's just right. making sure that we articulate clearly that it's actually all of, for all of us to achieve and yeah. for all of us to own. And I think alongside what, what Eric said, it's absolutely about get, driving that ownership. And, and I think we just got to keep on the drumbeat and yeah. it's a long game. Yeah. Um, but I think there's enough people um, and there are enough allies to go on the journey with us and, yeah. and to make it happen. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I think we are exactly at that point. I think we're at that pivot point now where we've shown what success looks like and what yes. expectations are. But we need to flip it from something that someone else has got to go do, do to something what I, uh, yes. that I've got to go right. do. Whether it's you're a manager, you're not a manager, it's irrelevant. It's what am I going to go do uh, yeah. next? I think that's key. Yeah. Key learning for us in the next phase. Yeah. And making sure it's a key business priority remains that, remains a, a key business priority and a key investment for us all to, all to continue uh, is really important. So, Last question. Yeah. We've, uh, you've described, David, a, a lot of our great success, and as you said, Eric, in a very short space of time, which is fantastic. What would be some of the, your signals that this is going in the right direction and that we're starting to achieve success other than what's been said? Look, I suppose success will look different depending on who you ask. Um, but for me, um, uh, looking after a technical team is really when, um, well, A, my team comes together as one, and start uh, taking risk, actually, start going out there, putting themselves out there, understanding that uh, we as leaders have them ba their back, which I think is really key to unleash the innovation that all of them have in themselves to the benefit of our clients. I think this is really where it's going, right? It's where it's actually translating into outcomes for, well, themselves as individuals and our clients and organizations we work with across uh, Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, very powerful. Thanks. Bridget? I think for me, the signs are, you know, I think we all have them in our organizations, those few individuals who think there's just no way they're ever going to get this. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But when you start seeing them try, 
And I think they're not there yet. Yeah. Um, there's still, you know, you still get the calls and the comments about their behavior not being quite where it should be, but them trying and recognizing yeah, it totally. and actually opening themselves up totally. and being vulnerable themselves yeah. as leaders it's in huge. saying, I know I did the wrong thing, yeah. but I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. And that to me was, has been the biggest signal that actually there's, there's something in this. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. huge, 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 huge progress. Uh, for me, I find that one of the, uh, I loved your points and what you said about how you also see success for me is when you get the knock on the door and it's been really fabulous because that door's been knocking from IBM Singapore. And so they've been jumping over the fence going like, what's David and the team doing over there? You know, and it's been like, great, let me tell you. And we've just kicked off two initiatives there. So that's just really fantastic to be able to get that, that ripple effect going on so that we can get a really unified language so that when we're seeing behavior that's really getting in our way, we can really call it out respectfully. We can have that hard, difficult conversation in a really respectful way. That's what's been success. And now with David's appointment going to New York, it's just really like, watch this space. Let's make sure that this really takes off in a, in a big way for us to really be truly constructive. Well, they said earlier, part of that thing was to step back. Yeah. I guess I'm stepping back now. <laughs> but I got to say, I'm, I, I know we're in good hands. We have... How many culture coaches do we have? About six, 30? 30, 30, right? 17, <laughs> sorry, okay. And then we've got champions on top of that. Yeah. And just so you know, so we assign a culture coach to each one of the 150 leaders. So there is a, and that's, a, again, another safe place for leaders to ask questions, to test, and to, you know, to continue to improve. So thank you very much uh, for the work that you do, the work that you'll continue to do. Amazing set of leaders and, and, uh, and people. So say thank you, please. And look, thank you for giving us the opportunity to tell our story. We're at the beginning. I said I was sitting there, I was watching, like you said, Eric, you know, that survey was done in 2018 and now it's 2008 and now we're 2019. I'm like, there's no way this is going to take us 10 years, right? No way. We can work faster than that. So I'm going to leave you. <laughs> That's the red coming out. I know. <clears throat> so I'm going to leave you with this, uh, which is a, a quote that I'm reminded of by an ex-CEO of IBM, our global organization, uh, Lou Gerstner Jr. And he said in a book, he said, I came to see at my time at I in, in my time at IBM that culture isn't just one aspect of the game, but it is the game. Thank you very much. What do you think, Jess? That was really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think one line that really stood out for me uh, was when David said that he couldn't ask his team to do something that he wasn't willing mm. to go through himself. Mm. You know, he's kind of putting himself out there, being a bit vulnerable by showing his profile. So great to see. Yeah, you got to be real and have real conversations. And I think that's what, that's what any culture journey is really about, right? There's, there's often a lot of stuff under the surface we know to be true, but it's, it's surfacing that and having having real chats because that's when you can actually make a difference and make progress so yeah i really enjoyed it I, I hope listeners out there got a lot from it we'll be releasing other presentations from the conference if you want to get the the slide deck and stuff there'll be links in the show notes of this podcast where you can go down uh, go in and download that so check it out if you're if you're interested in doing that otherwise thanks for your time today jess thanks Tom. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.